Um, we're going to be reading, it's, it's Matthew 18. Oh, goodness. What are the verses, David? <laughs> I've got it written down here. Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. And I must tell you that I nearly sabotaged, sabotaged the children's play because just as I was about to come up here to start, I saw somebody left a mug here. So I grabbed Heidi and I said, Heidi, could you possibly take this and pop this at the back because somebody's left it up here? <laughs> I didn't realize it was a prop. Anyway, glad it was found in time. So, uh, do you know, I've forgotten the reference again. <laughs> 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, and he began the settlement, and a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how our heavenly father will treat each one of us unless we forgive our brother or sister from our hearts. This is the word of the Lord. Jen. Uh, let's pray. Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Amen. We'll get something right between us in the end this morning. As we forgive those who trespass against us, maybe some doubt as to whether that means in the same way or at the same time, but in AV and ESV, it's pretty clear. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's Matthew 7, and Matthew would no doubt have had that in mind when he wrote Matthew 18. So the principle that we must forgive as we seek forgiveness is well established. And it's clear, isn't it, that this is not starting every day 
um, becoming a Christian all over again and asking for justification, particularly as we've already prayed for things that we've already confessed and for which we've already been forgiven. But it is to do with restoring our relationship with God and with each other because that is hindered, isn't it, spoiled, marred by sin. So Peter's question is, how often, not do I have to, but how often must I forgive my brother or will I forgive my brother? Not clear whether it's prophetic or whether it's moral, but whichever it is. Andrew is the one who introduced Peter to Jesus in the first place. This is, this is a beloved brother uh, who has already served Peter um, greatly, introducing him to the Messiah. At the time, Jewish teachers apparently took the view that if you forgave your brother three times, or anybody three times, that would demonstrate a forgiving spirit. Job 33, Amos 2. Um, and so Peter, perhaps he's trying to be clever, I don't know, but he goes for a perfect sort of a number, seven. Do I have to forgive him seven times? And Jesus is a bit more demanding than that. Um, New International Version and uh, others say 70 times seven or 77. Either way, it's a pretty perfect number of times. Um, could mean every time. Rather like Saturday afternoon at the recreation ground when we want revenge, don't we? We want a penalty imposed for misbehavior every time, ref is what they say. Confirmation there from the left. But that's not what forgiveness is about, is it? It's not about remembering it's happened before. It's about forgiving it. Uh, there is a reference in the Old Testament in uh, Genesis 4 uh, where Lamech boasts that he will revenge the opposite of forgiving anybody who does any harm to him. If Cain's vengeance was sevenfold for a blow, he will um, take it 70 times. And Jesus, going beyond human expectation and capacity, is, is challenging us really to forgive an impossible number of times. When we repent and pray for forgiveness, God puts our transgressions away, doesn't he, as far as the east is from the west, as we've already prayed this morning. Now, it is quite controversial. Please forgive me if this offends anybody. It's not, it's not intended to. But I have some difficulty with the idea that God could forget. After all, Revelation 4, 5, 6, 7 are full of praise to Jesus as Lamb of God, crucified to take away. So what we're remembering is the Lord and his astonishing atonement for us. We're not remembering other sins that we've already forgiven or that we've already committed and somebody else has forgiven. But I don't believe that God forgets. How could the almighty, all-knowing, all-seeing God forget? He puts it actively out of his mind. And we can copy that in a way. We can make an act of will. Having forgiven, we're not going to drag that up again. 
Uh, how many? How, how bad? Every sin? Not every sin, surely. Well, yes, this is, um, this is difficult, isn't it? How does a woman with three children, no job of her own, a nice house, a nanny, she's about to buy a holiday home somewhere on the continent, she has children whose education is very expensive, how can she forgive a husband with a high-powered job who jumps off a railway bridge to kill himself and may never now leave his bed? Or how does a family forgive a boss uh, who's sacked a parent, making it impossible for that person to continue in that profession? How do we, how do we manage it? How do we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, Matthew 5? Jesus managed it, being crucified, and in the act, praying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And Stephen managed it. He's the victim of an attack, a pogrom, a persecution against believers. He managed it while he was being stoned to death, saying, please do not hold this sin against you. Please don't. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Acts 7. Even the famous sin against the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, um, which will not be forgiven, is God's forgiveness, not man's forgiveness of another man. So it seems pretty clear from the concluding words of this parable that we must forgive. And even at the little commentary at the end of Matthew 6, immediately after the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men what they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. This is Jesus speaking. So this, this is worth him dying for. This, this is a big issue. Matthew 7 really uses the word for debt rather than trespass. Um, it's, it's one of the ways of looking at the effects of sin, uh, a consequence of sin, uh, paid for at the cross. So Colossians 2 says that God has cancelled the record of debts against us, setting them aside, nailed to the cross. And for reassurance, Paul, who had himself persecuted the church, considered himself to be the worst of sinners, and yet forgiven, and absolutely confident enough to tell the others in all those letters, in uh, Colossae particularly, that this had been set aside by God. So what is the debt in the parable? It's, it's quite a big debt. Um, the word talent is the one that we usually remember in this particular parable. It's an unimaginable number of talents, really. I mean, it, a talent is a large, it's a weight in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it, it's uh, an amount of money amounting to about 20 years' wages. That's one talent. Who can remember how many talents he's talking about here? It's a thousand talents. Working out in contemporary figures, um, when my <laughs> study Bible was written, at any rate, that amounts to about $6 billion. 
So not something that you can just write a check for, not something that you can easily pay, not something that's within our resources. It's unpayable by me. I can't pay that. And yet, he just asks this servant, he asks the king for time to pay. Impossible. He couldn't possibly, however long his life. And yet, the king writes it off, forgives him the debt. Now, he'd ordered the wife and the children to be sold into slavery. And you can imagine if he told the Pharisees the story, they'd be nodding their heads and say, yes, quite right, quite right, yes, that's right. Exodus 21, Deuteronomy 15, Nehemiah 5, yes, it's all quite right, yes. That was what would happen. Sold wife and children into slavery to somebody else, never see them again. They're going to be exploited horribly. And he's escaped that. You'd think he'd be grateful. But no, he has somebody who owes him just the one. 20 weeks laboring would yield the one talent, as opposed to 20 years for the full amount that he owed. And although the king took pity on him, he didn't have any pity on his fellow servant. Takes him by the throat. That suggests that having received this great forgiveness, he didn't have much of a sense of gratitude or even that God's forgiveness was at work in his life. We talk a lot, don't we, about being more like Jesus. But this is... This is not the action of a man who's getting more like Jesus after being forgiven. And Jesus, in verse 36, is, is not pleased. And the disciples, I think, are pretty sobered when he says, so will my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What was he did to the servant? Back in jail. Presumably indefinitely. So if we're going to think that we're getting more like Jesus every day, forgiveness has to be part of it. So who's my brother? Well, obviously Andrew and, and Peter are brothers, but perhaps this means to the disciples, well, we're with you, we, we're, we've given up, we're following you, perhaps, perhaps that's, we've got to forgive each other, all of us. But I think it probably goes further than that. Is it just our friends, our family, that we have to forgive? Jesus tells us that we must uh, love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And to remember that we're not appointed judges over other people. Matthew 7, just around the same passage in Matthew's thinking as he writes the Gospel. Matthew 7 talks about not being a judge Judges impose penalties, don't they? Um, and he says, get the plank out of your own eye before you remove the speck from your brother's eye. You'll be able to see better to do it. We don't really know, do we, how somebody's come to do something awful, how difficult it's been for them. We just have to forgive so what's not helpful, perhaps dragging up old scores, a previous sin, previous, as we've 
already prayed. What about demanding an apology? Of course I'll forgive you, but you must apologize first. Um, is, that, is that really how it is? Do you, do you want a formal apology? Now, if you've ever seen a film called A Fish Called Wanda, you will know that uh, John Cleese delivered a magnificent, un, absolutely absolute apology while dangling upside down on a piece of rope outside a window, giving the apology because otherwise the other guy was going to cut the rope. So that's forced, and that's no good. It has to be uh, that we behave uh, in love and not in procedure. Do we require some sort of humiliation of the other person before we're prepared to forgive? You've got, you've got to make a proper apology, and what's more, you're not... No more supper until you've said sorry. That's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. There's a uh, gambling scene. Um, the Sundance Kid has won a huge amount of money from another chap who thinks he's cheating and gets out his pistol and says, you're cheating. And uh, they consider then the possibility that um, the gunman may, may that, that, um, the Sundance Kid may, may kill this, this chap in a shootout. Uh, and so the chap decides, oh dear, now I know who he is. I don't want to take the risk. Thank you very much. And so they say to him, well, look, you've got to ask us to stay. And if you ask us to stay, then we'll go. And, of course, eventually the chap summons up the courage to say, um, <clears throat> stick around. No, 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 we've got to go. And off they go. So it, it's sort of a question of forcing somebody to make an apology, which is not really loving forgiveness. Or, of course, we could blame God and say, this is too hard for me. Even with 1 Corinthians 14, which says, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. And God will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, you've heard that a hundred times, haven't you? But compare that with Adam when he's caught out. What does he say? The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the uh, tree and I ate it. It's all her fault. Not even this wonderful woman, that this, this, when, she, when he first sees the woman, wow, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, oh, this is terrific. No, no, she's now become that woman. And that's what, that's what sin does, isn't it? It shatters relationships. We need to forgive because if we don't forgive, if we don't forgive, our relationship with God is wrecked and our relationship with each other doesn't get much better either. Now, there is a question. In fact, there are three. Um, will we be condemned for the sins of other people in which we're not complicit? Now, this is quite, this is quite controversial just at the moment, and you may take a different view. Or another version of that is, will others be condemned by our sin in some way that goes beyond cause and effect. In other words, will my descendants be uh, held accountable in some way because they, uh, they do what I've done, my example. Uh, a friend the other day asked me, uh, she was in the course of a divorce and she was really concerned, will the children be condemned for their father's sin? Didn't quite put it in those terms, but that, that was the question she was asking. She didn't mean suffer in human consequential terms, but she meant be held accountable, condemned by God. So do we have to ask forgiveness for the things that our ancestors have done? Do we have to ask 
uh, forgiveness for what our descendants might do? Uh, I think not, and if you want to look at it, then it's Ezekiel 2 and Jeremiah 31, uh, the story of sour grapes. And it's the person who sins who will die. God will not hold, he says, the parent accountable for the sins of the son, nor the son accountable for the sins of the parent. It's enough, isn't it, to have our own to cope with. So I think it's a little bit of a red herring, wondering whether I now have to forgive the Saxon invader after 1,500 years of occupation. Actually, I do. But the ones now are not the people who did it 1,500 years ago. Not forgiving wrecks our relationship with God and our neighbors. Not forgiving is self-harm. And the last question, do we forgive when there's no repentance, or do we want to insist on that first? That's the no more pudding till you've said sorry that we no doubt encountered in our youth. I'm going to read you something I read before in 2016. I don't think everybody's the same from then. This is from um, an update in Sat7, which is a Christian organization broadcasting in the Middle East. And this concerns a number of Christians who were beheaded on a beach in Libya. An elderly widow from Upper Egypt, Mrs. Isis Gattas Dawood, is the mother of Coptic Christians Bishoy and Samuel Estefanus Kamel, two of the 21 Egyptians beheaded on a, a Libyan beach in February 2015 by so-called Islamic State, IS. The night after IS released a video of their deaths, Mrs. Dawood's oldest son, Bashir, spoke live on this broadcaster saying their painful uh, ordeal had made the family stronger in their faith because the Bible tells us to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. And on the 30th of May, in the Orthodox Cathedral of the Coptic Church in um, Cairo, Mrs. Dawood herself speaks of her faith in God. Millions of people saw this on broadcast. Mrs. Dawood voiced her forgiveness and said she prayed for the killers of her two younger sons. Speaking of how they'd chosen martyrdom rather than renounce their faith, she said she would not be afraid to make the same choice. If my children weren't scared, why should I be? So praise God for the power of forgiveness. If that family can forgive sins like that, who are we to forgive smaller sins against us? Failing to forgive is self-harm, particularly if roots of bitterness grow from it. And Hebrews 12:15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no root of bitterness grows up to cause trouble or to defile many. Praise God for the forgiveness he gives. Amen.